This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means that you are listening to another episode of the Crowncast. And it's a Wednesday Crowncast in which we are going to talk all about Charlotte versus Atlanta. And a lot of you may have watched that game and thought, I never want to think about this again. And uh, I, too thought about the fact that I would never want to think about it again. And then I realized that I was going to think about it again. And then I went down the rabbit hole thinking about it. And then I couldn't stop thinking about it. So instead of casting it into the deep hole of abyss, I have obsessed over it. And I'm here to bring you those thoughts. And another man who is here to obsess over football with me is Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. And another man who is here to bring you his thoughts is Josh. Hello, Josh. Hey, guys. Oh, are we um, assuming Josh didn't obsess about this? No, honestly, Josh doesn't think preseason's <laughs> real. I assume he completely forgot it happened. I'm just as, I'm just considering this to be part of preseason, and therefore it's not real, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, based on my introductions, Justin, you were only allowed to obsess about this, but you're not allowed to give us your thoughts. And Josh, oh, all right, well, only yeah, <laughs> Justin, thanks for being on the pod. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> Josh has to give a thought, us thoughts with no forward advance. It's going to be great, everybody. Um, it is bad. It's bad. It's three games in a row. Uh, this one, a loss to a loss in a derby against what I think most people would consider to be Charlotte FC's rivals in a really, really disheartening way. And uh, as we always do, we are going to go through the goals uh and i am going to jump to justin justin do you want to tell us about goal one yeah i mean this this starts off with kind of a bad giveaway in the midfield bronico doesn't make the best pass here um and then we end up you know caught in transition we get caught pushing forward and we get caught with both tuiloma and melanda pulled way over to the left because Bronico is now running behind the play. Derek Jones is, and get used to this phrase, uh, listeners, running behind the play. Um, and uh, Tiago Almada has the simplest pass in the world to slot it past basically our entire back line because Nathan Byrne is way up the pitch too. Uh, to Caleb Wiley running down um, their, their left attacking wing uh, and minutes into the match and we're down one nil. Yeah. Um, my, I think there's going to be a lot of talk today about sort of where we assign blame and where we see failures in this game. And I think my big one and probably most people's big one in this one is Adelson Melanda and, uh, regular listeners to the podcast will know that most of us, I think all three of us, Love Adilson Melanda. Think he is yes. a fantastic defender. Uh, this one, he gets caught. Uh, this one, he... I think... Uh, you know, I don't know exactly what was going through his head. That is for the young Frenchman to know, and probably no one else. Maybe Christian Latanzio. But Bill Tuiloma is covering that side. Uh, I believe it's Derek Jones. Uh, but we have a defensive midfielder pushing in to to double team that position and Adilson Melanda just pulls over to the play and basically leaves three people on one guy and when a ball gets slotted through it's it's open season Josh thoughts on this one yeah I mean for me the the big issue is Melanda's positioning and, and his proximity to Tuiloma because I do think Tuiloma has 
that covered, where that danger in that moment covered. Um, the big question, though, also has to be what Nathan Byrne is doing and whether that is from Latanzio's instruction or whether he just forgot what he was supposed to be doing because he is further up the pitch than the ball is when it is given away. He is also about three yards away from Caleb Wiley, the goal scorer, when the ball is given away. Um, as a right back, even an inverted uh, right back, I don't know what he is doing almost outside of the center circle um, in that moment. Um, he he is running really hard to get back, but I mean, at that point, that's just sort of to show that you did that because he's never catching up to the play. Yeah, it's not ideal. Um, the truth is we have bad positioning. I think most of that is on Melanda. I personally have to say that whatever Nathan Byrne is doing on the right side, I vaguely think it is what he is being asked to do. Whether or not he is doing it well is a question we may address later, but it's it's bad positioning from the central defenders that really leaves this wide open. Uh, I'm going to move on. I'm going to take the second goal. You guys good with that? Yeah, I mean, I just yeah. want to say one last thing on the first. It is, I cannot stress how bad the the pass, the choice is from left back Brent Bronico trying to slot into to left wing Kamal Yuzwiak, but very, very covered left wing Kamal Yuzwiak that sets this transition off. Yeah, um, it, like we said, as a as a rule, not great across and that ball, not exactly a great pass. Uh, I am going to talk about the second goal. Uh, second goal, uh, Adilson Melanda. There's going to be a lot of names that you hear sort of repeated, and they're going to be most of the names of our defenders uh, because we lost 3-0. Uh, Adilson Melanda steps up into the midfield and tries to, to cut out a tackle or tries to cut out a play. And I would kind of like to turn this one into a discussion because I have thoughts on this. He does not succeed. He gets run by in the midfield, but structurally, I am not upset with what happened for our second goal. So when you see Adilson Melanda step up, he's stepping up into a man that if everything is going perfectly, probably should be Derek Jones's responsibility. Derek Jones is not there, something you may hear regularly. And whether Derek Jones was supposed to be there or not, I think the next correct action was taken. So as defenders, we all learn to, to step out of our hole and create a two-line defense. And basically, one man applies pressure, and then on either side of the forward options for a, an attacking player, if they beat that first, first man, another one should be able to step to the ball relatively quickly, uh, just stepping in and out of, of your hole. Guzman Carujo does this really, really, really well. It's something he made a name for himself doing. It's also something I have almost never seen Adilson Milanda do. So I, upon rewatching this, think this is instruction from the coaches. I think there has been some, hey, Milanda, you're doing a great job. You have a great nose for defense. If you feel like you need to jump out of your hole and create that staggered defending line, do it. Cut the play out. We understand this is not something that you necessarily are amazing at. 
do the best you can, learn. As soon as he jumps out of that hole, you see uh, Nathan Byrne, Bill Tuiloma, and uh, Brant Bronico fall into a, a well-compacted back three. The shape is not bad, right? But Adilson Milanda gets burned. Ball goes out to the wide right, our defensive left, and on that defensive left side is Brant Bronico. I love Brant Bronico. He is also struggling in a position that is not necessarily his skill set yet. And while I think he's a player who can pick it up with enough time and enough practice, uh, I believe that very fully. Right now, I think we see some of the challenges as he gets turned to the inside. I am more willing to forgive Brant Bronico getting turned to the inside by what is, I think, some really good play from the Atlanta attacker and Adilson Milanda stepping out of his hole at the right time and missing that aggressive defensive tackle. I fit both of these failures into these are people learning. And when people are learning new skills, mistakes get made. Again, Derek Jones. There's a there's a phrase I'm going to use here. Kind of looks at the whole problem and, and says, not my cows, not my farm. Just has opportunities to close down windows, has opportunities to close down passing lanes. When this ball gets cut to the inside, and essentially we have a highly skilled attacker against a brand new left back in Brant Bronico, Derek Jones has the opportunity to dive in, to cut out the passing lane backwards, and also double up on the, the pressure this attacker is facing. He does neither. He sort of just stands there and watches as uh, Brant Bronico gets shown that being a left back is really hard. Uh, I do think it's fair to say there's quite a bit of skill from Atlanta in this. The skill to move the ball through the midfield quickly, the skill to beat the Adils and Milanda challenge, and the skill, the skill to take a really, really good shot after, uh, after cutting the ball inside all deserve to be talked about. But uh, I think I have hit most of the points I wanted to address tactically. Josh, thoughts on this? Yeah, this is the goal that I'm by far the least upset with. There are things that in a perfect world I would have liked to have seen done better. You know, ideally, I think um, Melanda puts off Barry, who is the Atlanta striker who has a perfectly chested ball down to an incoming Wiley. Ideally, Melanda is able to get the ball off of Wiley when he takes it. Both of those things, though, are done really well by those Atlanta players, right? Um, and then Wiley has a great outside-of-the-boot pass, perfectly placed to Arujo, who, let's not forget, played a significant part on a title-winning French team in Ligue 1, a hugely talented player who then cuts in. Um, a real left-back, quote-unquote a real left-back, would have probably maybe been able to force him wide and not back onto that foot might not have been when i look at the goals this is the only goal where i where i say atlanta is fully or mostly responsible for this goal and it is not mostly through the fault of charlotte is how i would put that yeah i think that's a really good way to say it there was a question earlier 
about whether or not we should expect more from Pablo Cisniega in this. I am looking at his position. I don't think his positioning's bad. He does get beat near post, but I don't think he's done a terrible job of this. I don't know that it's the best that could be done. Justin, thoughts on Pablo? No, I mean, I'm I'm with you. I don't think that you can expect him to stop that, uh, you know, more than maybe two or three times out of 10. And, uh, you know, I don't know if... Okay, this is, I think, the trade-off for Pablo Cisniega compared to a Christian Kalina. Kalina is going to make some absolute highlight real saves and then, you know, potentially muck up some more mundane stuff or, or, you know, have issues with the distribution. Pablo gives you a little bit more well-rounded, maybe without the the big highs or the big lows. Yeah. I'm going to do something really, really quick here. And I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to ask for your guys's frustration ratings on, on three players here. Just Really quick, out of five, five being I am livid and cannot be consoled. One being it's all good. Uh, on Melanda, on Bronico, and on uh, Pablo Cisniega. Uh Josh, you want to give me your just feel of the moment ratings on this? Um, for this goal, not for the yeah, first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, for the first one, I am five at Melanda. Oh, God. Uh, two and a half on Melanda, one and a half on Brandt, three and a half on Cisniega. I tend to be harsher on goalkeepers, I think, than is probably fair. Yeah, that was really, I feel like that was pretty harsh. Uh, <laughs> Josh, you want to you wanna see if maybe I'm crazy? Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, uh, uh, Justin. I, I mean, I think that this is... I'm at a two for Melanda and he really only gets the extra frustration point because I really want him to make the tech. Like I, I, he's so good at that. I want him to get stuck in and win that ball. Um, it's like a 1.5 on Brandt. He's out of position, but and if, I mean, for Cisniega, I, I really don't have it's a, it's a, I'm not overly frustrated with Cisniega on this. Yeah, I think I'm in the like like a two on Adilson Melanda. I think I'm like a two on Brant Brodico, and I think I'm at like a one point five on Cisniega. I think most of this boils down to the fact that Atlanta has a lot of skill and they manage to use it really, really effectively here. Um, which actually I did not realize would physically hurt my body to say that out loud. Um so that that's new. Uh, now let's get through the third goal and then ask me what my frustration level is about Derek Jones for this match. Twenty-seven. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. That's probably not high enough. Uh, I went to Justin for the first goal. I did the second one. All right, Josh, you want to walk us through the the third goal? Yeah. So the third goal is there. There are not a lot of words that I can say for this goal because we are in stoppage time um we're down to nothing it's already bad you just want to get into the half and it's really just a simple ball out from their one of their center backs that bypasses three players in our midfield um Uzwiak, Derek Jones and Westwood for some reason Derek Jones is super high up this pitch but he is not really 
doing anything. Um, he's just sort of standing in place. He's not rushing onwards towards the center back to put pressure on him. Uh, that's Andre Shinyashiki. He's not covering any of the two outlet balls from the center back. He's just, again, standing in space. The ball goes to Almada, who glides by Brant Bronico. Um, I believe in the in the presser, uh, Latanzio mentioned um, there were moments when we could have taken a tactical foul. This is probably one of them. But I also, you know, if you're not a team who does that regularly, sometimes it's not it doesn't come natural. Uh, Almada is so dangerous in space. He's able to get a ball out to Arujo, who is kept on by Nathan Byrne because there's a good run from Caleb Wiley on the other side. Um, Arujo is able to then they get a little bit lucky. There is a deflection from Arujo's pass off of Brant Bronico um, that kind of falls into into no man's space. But really what happens is Nathan Byrne is stuck between a rock and a hard place. He has no one tracking back to help him with Caleb Wiley, who's on his outside. He has Almada on the inside, who's he's responsible for. Um, the deflection off of Brant, I think, trips him up a little bit. And what ends up happening is he just sort of stumbles around Almada, who leaves the ball for Wiley to put home a third goal. Um, there is a lot that is not happening in this play. If you watch it back, Derek Jones, who I think we all have huge levels of frustration on for this play in particular, um, is really just jogging back. There is a moment where Arujo's pass that is deflected. If Jones is actually pushing himself back, I think he is in that space to cut out that pass, um, regardless of the deflection. But he's not there. Again, he's just sort of in space. There's a guy behind him that he's not covering. Um, it is a great counter by Atlanta, but it is a great counter helped a lot by bad positioning, a lack of effort on multiple players' parts, um, a number of players being played out of position as well. You don't see Carol Swiderski on this play. That is a frustration, but he's also not a right winger. So part of me also doesn't expect to see him having tracked back on this. It is not a good goal, and it absolutely, I think, destroyed the morale of this team heading into halftime. Yeah, it... I'm going to talk really quickly about something that I, I'm calling the second and a half man, which is basically no man's land. And it's where I am seeing Derek Jones a lot. Actually, it's where I'm seeing him in almost everything. If we take my previous example of a, a defender stepping out of, out of their hole to go and put on pressure, there should be someone in the second man position, right? And that means that if the ball pops out right there in the immediate vicinity of the tackle, there should be someone close by and close enough that that immediate vicinity has more support, right? There is then always the, you know, potential option that a ball goes long, that they manage to break away a little space and that they hit a long ball over the top. That is usually covered by another player which is deeper in the system, right? You can either be the second man or you can be the third man. He seems to constantly be standing in a space where if he had the speed of Usain Bolt, he could potentially cover all of the problems himself. He does not have the speed of Usain Bolt. 
And that positioning, when he's higher up the field, is killing us. And he is continuing that positioning on his run back, right? Like you said, Josh, he's neither covering, he's neither busting his butt back to cut out the immediate ball, nor is he covering the late run in the box. He's just kind of consistently in the second and a half no man's land. And uh, I personally, this is this is a bad game for Derek Jones, but I, I personally am, am really frustrated at the fact that not only does this play start because of that, it also finishes the way it does, largely in part to Derek Jones's being incorrectly holding the space. Uh, Justin, have I have I been too harsh here? No, I mean, you know, I think the only thing that you might be able to say in Derek Jones's defense, and I think you can try to say it for for a lot of the players in this game. I don't think that he is used to playing in a position that. that is asking him apparently to push forward as much as he has been. So, you know, there's, I think a question of the, uh, about the structure of this team. There's a question about how we're being put together and trotted out. And so, you know, I, I have a quick thought on this specifically for you, Justin, a couple episodes back, I proposed my rocket league midfield, Right that sort of rotating no everyone's position is free as long as all the space gets covered thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think Andre Shinyashiki plays that game. Andre Shinyashiki wants to be further up towards the goal. Right. And I have thoughts about the fact that Andre Shinyashiki playing further up towards the goal, not poorly is creating a system where maybe we're seeing less out of Ashley Westwood because we didn't see a bunch out of Ashley Westwood. He was not filling in the same spaces. Uh, you know, obviously his passing was still good, but uh, that means that this sort of rotating thing is no longer a three people rotating through the p- positions. It's now just the two on a piston up and down. Did you see that as well? Or am I making that up in my own head? Because if it is a piston up and down, that is wildly out of what I would be expecting Derek Jones to achieve. I mean, yes, I think that, that you know, Andre is not the kind of midfielder if he's being asked to play a central attacking mid to to step back and contribute in that build-up play quite that way, the way that Swiderski was. You know, it. I don't know. I have so many frustrations about the way this team is set up now. I have so many frustrations that, you know, we got one game of that, uh, you know, that that midfield and being able to to see that kind of rotation, and then we've immediately moved away from it. Yep. Um, it feels like, on a very broad sense, Ashley Westwood was brought in to play a style that works very well with Enzo Capetti, where you're going to be looking to hit the other team on the break. You're going to be looking to play some transitional ball. You're going to be looking to, uh, you know, play the kind of line splitting passes that Ashley Westwood's good at playing to, you know, an on running attacker in counterattacking transitional style, which it seems Enzo Capetti's very good at. The rest of the team doesn't do that though. 
No, they, they, they absolutely do not. I, I think I'm going to break this down to a simpler question. And we hinted at this in the post react. And that is, uh, I, I'm going to go to you, Josh, first. Considering how disconnected this team is, how do you analyze its structure? Where are you starting? What are you looking at? So the first thing that I'm trying to figure out, to be completely honest, is what is the base formation that Latanzio wants? Because I think that there are a lot of people out there, we keep referring to Swiderski or Andre is playing a cam role. There are people insisting that we're doing that. But if you look at the heat maps of Andre Shinishiki against Atlanta and against some of those other, or against St. Louis, that is not the heat map of a, of a, of a cam. And so that's where I start because that lets me know, okay, if we're not playing with a cam, then we're not playing a four-two-three-one, which we were last year. I and at I'm, least in base. Sorry, I'm just going to come in here. I do assume you mean a central attacking midfielder by cam. Yes, yes. Um, and so that's where I'm starting, and I'm still trying to figure out because again, the club keeps releasing a a four-three-three as what we're starting, and this seems very pedantic and. And sort of like, is it really that important what we're playing? In my eyes, it is, though, because I want to know what the role is. For me, a central attacking midfielder, like an Almada, like what Swiderski was playing last year, I don't expect them to be necessarily building up from deep or anything, to be doing that Rocket League midfield of rotating through type of thing. But if we're not playing with that, then I do expect to see that. And then I'm also looking at what these what these fullbacks are doing. And it's very clear, in my opinion, that Latanzio wants them to be inverted fullbacks. What is not clear to me is how he is setting up that structure and how narrow he wants them to play. Does he want them both to be narrow at the same time? Does he want one to be narrow and then the other fill in? That is what is confusing me sort of right now. To be honest with you, I'm having a very hard time analyzing anything about this team because i think we also have a number of players who are being square pegged into round holes yeah i'll go through my thoughts really quick because the way i analyze a team is i look at its spine as its strength right and you can have all sorts of different ways to identify how a spine holds the team up but the spine holds the team up right whether you have a rotating midfielder in there that sort of transitions the middle piece out of the spine, the goalkeeper, your central defenders, your central attacking mid or your central defensive mid, and your central striker are your spine. They are the midfield presence and they are the strength of the team. If they collapse, it all collapses, which, by the way, is what happened against Atlanta. The middle of the pitch has to be protected by really skilled really well-positioned play playing. The wings are your stabilizers and your threat. This is sort of the, the view on football that I have. And you can see how a, a, a game will get unbalanced if one wing or the other, both defensively and offensively, is not balancing the game. Our right wing right now, so... I, I tried to look at this from the central point first, in which I can see very little that makes sense. Obviously, Pablo Zaniega is our goalkeeper, and Bill Tuiloma and Adilson Melanda are our sort of two uh, center backs. But 
Adilson Mwanda is coming out of his hole in ways that I would not expect. Whether that is he's coming out of his ways and being out of his hole in ways to distribute the ball and sort of skill his way past that first line in order to distribute, or whether he's coming out of his hole in order to aggressively defend, not really his strong suit. Uh, right now, we have Derek Jones, who we have at length discussed about the fact is somewhere on the field, definitely not holding good space through the center. And we have either a combination of Carol Swiderski uh, or, uh, oh my gosh, uh, I've lost his name. Justin, help me. Brazilian, number 10. Andre Shinyashiki. Thank you. Um, not our actual number 10, was playing in the number 10. <laughs> um, and dear Andre Shinyashiki, you have my apologies. Um, or Andre Shinyashiki in this central attacking mid role that floats. Our striker is running all over the place because he's looking for the the space. So we have no spine, I think is probably the right way to say it. The center of our field is horribly disjointed. And if you go and you look at our stabilizing wings, we have no stabilization. We have very little speed out of Carol Soderski, who uh, runs as, like this is not a, a shot at Carol's effort is he is not a hold the games with winger. So he doesn't know when to create with, and he doesn't know when to, to, you know, pull back in defensively. We have Nathan Byrne, who, as we have discussed at length, I think is trying to cover like six roles and doing none of them good on the Y on the right side. We have Capetti sort of switching sides, but outside of being a target ball for headers, not really doing much in the buildup. And that right side is just gone. The only, the only functioning piece of that right side right now, Justin, you already alluded to, and that's we have Ashley Westwood trying to hit long balls up to Capetti. Uh, that's it. That's our right side. Literally, teams can just ignore it. And I think that's why we see so much of the game getting thrown over to our left, where... We do see Kamal Yuzhviak, who I'm sure we'll talk about later. Uh, we do see uh, Andre Shinishiki getting over there. We do see Brant Bronico moving up in support. We see the game being played entirely on our left side, and it looks unbalanced. It feels unbalanced because they're just throwing all the defenders over there, and anyone on our left side is, for lack of a better statement, screwed because... There is no balance. There's no stabilization on the right side of the team. I have gone on long enough. Justin, thoughts, and how are you trying to break down what's happening? Well, I mean, I, I think it's very difficult right now to break down what's happening, and, and this sort of leads me to a, a bigger point. Because, like Josh said, there's too much square peg and a round hole, and so my question, I think, is when we look at guys like Bronico playing out of position and, and, you know, I love Brent. He's a great player, but he's being played out of position. Um, Carol Swiderski is being played out of position. You know, when you look at guys that we've bought, like, like Westwood uh, and, and Capetti, I think they play a different style than Latanzio played at the end of last season. I think that if you look at, guys like Derek Jones and like Brandt, they're being played in positions that they're not 
used to because it feels like this style is kind of changing. Do you guys feel like this team has been built with Christian Latanzio as a part of its construction? Or do you think that Christian Latanzio has been handed a bunch of parts and said, make it work? Well, that's a great question. Uh, Josh, you want to take this one first? The latter. Um, I am. There are a couple things I'm convinced about with Christian Latanzio. Um, the first is that he wants to play with four at the back. The second is that he wants to invert his fullbacks. And the third is that he does not want to play two at the top. When you look at our team, I think, and a lot of people call for this, and I keep telling people, stop, because I, don't, I just don't think it's going to happen. When I look at our team, I think we are built for a 4-4-2 or some variation that has two strikers at the top. When I look at our team, I think we are built to have overlapping fullbacks who allow Yuzwiak and Vargas or Shinyashiki or whoever it is to cut inside off the wing. I think that this team, and I've said it before, I think that they are, have done a decent job at identifying talent. I think they've done a horrible job at actually creating a cohesive roster. And if I had to put money on it, I would say that they have talked with Latanzio about signings. They have talked to him about players. But at the end of the day, they have signed who they wanted to sign, and they have told him to make it work. Yeah, I'm going to come in here and say I don't even think they've talked to him. I mean, it's we see a, my position on Latanzio. He's a he's a football purist. I think is a, a good way to say it. He loves the game. He knows the game inside and out. He knows what is the most effective style in football. And I think his mentality is, I'm going to take Charlotte FC to that style, no matter how rocky it gets getting there. None of the players we brought in play that style. None of them. Uh, maybe you could argue that on the right day, Ashley Westwood could play that style. But... If he wanted to play that style, the people we see starting games, if, if he was committed to playing that style and he was a major factor in the incomings for this team, I don't think we see a lot of these people. So, you know, to the, to the question's point, uh, I, I think he is, if, if he is involved, he is involved by them handing the transfers that are already done to Christian Latanzio so he can read who he's going to be playing next. Yeah, I gotta, I mean, I gotta say, I agree with both of you guys. This does not feel like a team that has been constructed to play the style that it's playing. It also feels like a team that's sort of built out of a couple of halves. You know, it, it feels like a team that, like I said, I think Westwood and Capetti are brought in to play a particular style. That's not how we're playing. I think they fit better in a system that looks to strike back quickly and, and you know, press, get the ball turned over, and then immediately turn it into a foot race towards the other team's goal. And Christian Latanzio doesn't want to play that way. And no. so it, it does feel a little bit like we are in a position where we're going to have a hard time succeeding because, you know, we don't... The, the only reason we're seeing Brant Bronico where he is is because... 
Christian Latanzio doesn't have anything approaching a left back to play his system. And so instead we're playing Brant back there. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I will say, Oh, sorry. I will say really quick. I do think there could theoretically be an, a left back approaching his system in Adam armor, but he is not available yet. So that is, that's a non-factor Josh. I was just going to say the refusal of this club to get a left back. Um, if it does not happen, and I'm and I'm very pessimistic that they're going to actually bring in a, a new left back. I think I don't want to say it's the whole reason that this season might be problematic, but it is such a glaring need from that is seen by fans. I think it's seen by national media. I think anyone of opposing fans who might watch this team will immediately recognize it too. We brought in Christian Fuchs for a year. He then retired, went on to our staff, and we have not replaced him. And if the guys who were behind him were not good enough to play ahead of him last year, which they kind of weren't, then why are they good enough this year, especially when they're not these young talented players, aside from potentially Adam Armour? The left-back position being just completely ignored is a frustration that grows with me every single day. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'm going to sort of bump us ahead here. <clears throat> I think everyone knew this was coming. Kamil Ujjiak. Justin, tell me about Kamil Ujjiak. Is he a bust? Is he the best player well, we have? So here's the thing. Is, is, there is a ton of Ujjiak hate on, you know, our, our team's subreddit uh amongst the national media who continue to harp on the the fact that he hasn't scored a goal in you know 92 93 games or something at this point and i get that but my eyes are also telling me that kamal yuzwiak is still one of the most effective players right now for an ineffective side he's one of the ones that is doing the most in terms of of effort he's you know definitely one of the ones that's that's putting in the most mileage on his legs um i think that he is in a position now where he's trying to send in crosses he's trying to send in low crosses to a a striker who wants to be put in like i said in transitional play and on the run i don't think that capetti's the kind of striker that yuzuiak wants to be crossing the ball to um i i understand that the numbers the metrics just just the pure metrics of goal scoring don't look great for Kamil Yuzhiak. But I can't look at him and go, this guy's just a waste. This guy's a waste of our DP spot, which, you know, I'm still shocked that the team hasn't bought him down because that, I thought, was the whole point of this contract. But but I don't think he has been nearly as bad as the fans seem to think he is. And this national media seems to think he is. And so, you know, I I have this growing sense of frustration about the way Kamel is perceived uh, around this, not by the team, but in the space around the team. Yeah, I'm going to weigh in here really quick. And that is from the metrics we would expect of a goal scorer, Kamel Yuzhwiak is disastrous. But everything else about him is passing every test you can come up with. And what that tells me is that you have a very good player 
<clears throat> excuse me, you have a very good player who is not a, I'm going to put the whole team on my back like Erling Holland and win games because I'm a generational talent. What that tells me is that you have a good player in, I'm, I'm going to come out and say it, a bad system, right? My sort of thought to look at for Kamal Yuzhviak was, is he getting into attacking positions? He was getting into attacking positions in the Atlanta match. He had a couple of back post runs that I expect to see out of a left winger. He was making that progress towards the goal. Was it great? Mm, No. But it was progress towards what I wanted to see. So I am personally of the opinion that Kamal Yushriak is probably a, a good footballer. And he is definitely not an outright game winner, right? He's not the guy who's going to just put it all on his back, beat four players and score a goal and say, let's go, lads, we're winning this. He's not that guy. And the question then becomes, can we build a good enough team around him that he shines as a good footballer who is not a force of nature? Or is he going to continue to get loaded onto and not succeed with very little help. I, I have concerns, but I'm going to pass it on to uh, Josh for this. So the way I look at Kamo and the way the, the media is currently focusing on him is in general, I think the criticism is warranted in the moment i don't think it is and and what i mean by that is i think that there are legitimate criticisms of a guy who it plays on the wing and has not scored in 92 club games right like you need more even if he's not a guy who can carry a team you have to score at some point when you're playing on the wing but three games into this season kamel uzwak is not the reason that Charlotte FC has zero points and has been outscored seven to one, in my opinion. Um, I will also acknowledge that the best team on a, the best player on a bad team is still kind of a bad player in some respects. Um, but I think in the moment, the hate that Kamil is getting is unwarranted. If this team were not had nine points, it'd be warranted. Yeah, I would agree. I'm going to do this super fast so we can get on to the second part of this podcast. Uh, I'm going to ask you guys a question. You're going to say, is it fair or is it not fair? Justin, the way the national media is viewing Kamil right now, he's the story. Are they being fair or is it unfair? I think it's unfair. Fair enough. Josh? Unfair. I would agree. It is unfair, I think is is the right way to put it. Um, We did have a note to talk about Bronico at left back. I think we've kind of covered that he's playing out of position. I think we're going to continue to see him there. Um, check out check out our Twitter if you want a bunch of heat maps <laughs> and information about why it could work and what would happen in the meantime. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I am going to ask this question that Justin came up with. Credit to Justin for coming up with the question. So I'm going to ask it to Justin because I assume he also came up with an answer. And that is, is Christian Latanzio's seat hot? I think it has to be. I think when you play as well as you did last year at the end of the season, 
And then you come in and you change up the system as much as I think Latanzio has and tinker with it this far into the, the season. I think the seat's already got to be hot. And, and I think that there's also a precedent from David Tepper of you're going to manage on a short leash. Yep, I would agree. I think his seat's, if it was not already hot, uh, I I think it is growing hotter at like maybe maybe like jet fuel fire underneath his seat levels of rapid heating up. Um, it's it's gonna come. The questions are going to come down to Christian Latanzio sooner or later, and that leads us into our next talking point. Josh, we had uh, we had quotes come out of the presser in which Christian did what I think was the right thing but I think is very challenging to do, especially for a manager who does not have a lot of credit. He held up his hand and he said, I'm willing to take responsibility. I'm willing to be the guy you guys talk to. I'm willing to go through the crap, but I also have to expect the best of my players. And right now we're not getting it out of them. In the real world, right? Not in the media explosion, not in the, hey, what happens if if this or that in the real world of making this team better where you're sitting how much of what we're experiencing should be a responsibility i'm not going to call it blame i'm going to call it a responsibility of the players on the pitch and how much do you feel like is a responsibility of christian latanzio for right now um 60 percent Latanzio, 40% the players, um, just based on the fact that they, I just feel like there are so many players who are being asked to do different things than they were last year that I think a lot of this is on him and what he is asking them to do. Um, and so I think he needs to take more responsibility because I think he wants them to play in a certain way and that might be the right way. It might not be the right way, but when you're asking for those things, I think you have to take a little bit more share of the blame. Um, but there's a large part that has to go to the players. You have to blame Derek Jones for some of those goals. You have to blame Ad Adilson Milanda for some of those goals, right? Like a, a coach can put the best system out on the pitch, but if the players don't perform, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm going to step in here and then I'm going to give it to Justin because I think Justin probably has the best final thoughts on this. We talked a lot last season about how we viewed Christian Latanzio as a very good coach, as somebody who's really good at identifying how a player can become better, right? We were not super thrilled about him from his managerial positions, and I think we are seeing that rear its ugly head. I think this is probably 75% on Latanzio and 25%. I don't know, maybe 30, depending on how pissed I am at Derek Jones. Um, <laughs> 25 to 30% on the players. Justin, you want to follow up on that thought? Uh, I mean, I think it's game to game, right? I, I think that the St. Louis game, uh, a lot more of this blame goes on to the players. Uh, you know, the St. Louis game was full of self-inflicted wounds. Um, I think that Latanzio continuing some of these experiments, uh, in particular, you know, Swiderski on the wing, things like that, into this game against Atlanta, I think that shifts more of this responsibility over to Latanzio. And, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this 70-30 Latanzio right now, uh, like you, Logan, because I think that we saw a very quick trigger 
after New England. And now it feels like there's a much longer leash for, for what looks like it's doing worse. You know, I don't know how bad New England could possibly have been in Latanzia's eyes to think that this that we're seeing is, you know, the right path forward comparatively. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm going to move us along. Um, there were some uh, comments on Capetti and on how he is not adapting to this league and he's sort of throwing himself in the face of the refs. I personally sit on the side of good. I think those are good comments. Uh, I, I don't know that. I, I think the media can be used to put pressure on a player when that player is not responding. And I think that's what he did there. I'm not horribly against it, but there might be some who are. Justin, are you horribly against that method? No, I'm not horribly against the the idea of of calling him out. I am horribly against the fact that we bought a player who needs to be called out three games into the season for something like this. Because if you're calling him out in the media, it means you've addressed him privately and it hasn't gotten better. Not wrong. Josh, really quick on this. Uh, I'm on the other side a little bit. I think that this was a little early to go to the media, but um, if it's legitimate, then that means that there are major problems, which speaks to a whole other issue. But I personally would have liked to have seen this a little bit longer before he went uh, to the media. Yeah, uh, I think we can agree that no matter what exactly the outcome of that is, it's not great and it doesn't look great, right? We're going to move on, and we are going to leave the Atlanta game behind us. Um, I think there are some questions as to how this gets fixed, and I think those might be addressed in later podcasts. But we do have another game to play, and uh, as ever, we do have a man who knows exactly how we're going to win it and is going to tell us how we're going to win it. Josh, you want to give us the Orlando preview? Yeah. Um, So there are, I would say there's two big things that I'm looking for with this game. Um, the first is Facundo Torres. He is a young attacking midfielder who can either play centrally or on the right wing. Um, and he can be a terror. If this sounds like Tiago Almada, well, it kind of is. He's not quite Almada in skill set, I don't think. Um, but for this league, he is very exciting. He's very good. He was, there were rumors about him in Arsenal that never came to just to give you a level of sort of like where his stock is um last year he had nine goals and eight assists which is a tremendous return for a guy in a new league i will say that of those nine goals one was a penalty and he had a 4.0 xg which means he basically outperformed his xg he doubled it, which I have never seen before. <laughs> um, so I think there are legitimate questions about how sustainable that output is. I will say I think he is a real goal-scoring threat and an assist threat. Um, what really has me worried is that he is going to take up similar positions to Almada. And if you go back and watch the goals that we talked about, a lot of the, all three of those goals, the issues start and or end on our left of the defense, the attacking right. And those are the spaces that he wants to take up um, is in those areas. So we have to do a better job of containing him as opposed to what we did with Almada. Okay. Um, uh, the, yeah, go ahead. So a quick question for you here is, 
we clearly have just a unfiring offense. <laughs> our our really just game breaking all all goals under threat offense is coming up against the worst defense in the league, hopefully. Nah. nah. Oh. <laughs> oh great. Um they have they've allowed uh one goal on the season, I believe, if I'm if I'm remembering right. I believe they have a one oh win as um so it's been a good defense. However, there is maybe a sliver of hope. Um through the first few games, they have been without one of their starting center backs from last year, a guy named Antonio Carlos. He is very, very good in the air. Um, the players who have replaced Antonio Carlos are very, very bad in the air. And when I say very, very bad, I, the two guys most likely to start at center back are in the single digits when it comes to percentiles of aerials one. There is a chance that Carlos is back for our game. He has been back in training. He made the bench for the DC game. Um, they do. Uh, Orlando has a, a second leg in the Champions League uh, tonight as of recording Wednesday. So it's a little up in the air whether he returns. If he cannot return, our crosses might lead to something because it is a legitimate concern for Orlando that they are really, really bad in the air. And we send in way too many crosses. So maybe one of those things gives. Um, if Carlos is back, things get a little trickier, but I would still say that that one player is not going to completely alleviate that kind of issue. Um, and so it'll be better for them, but it still could be an area where you want to try to attack them. Okay. I, I like this. Uh, Enzo Capetti is going to get a hat trick from two <laughs> crosses from hopefully Kerwin Vargas and uh, one cross from uh, Kamal Yushriak. Uh, Justin, questions on the Orlando match? No, I mean, no questions. I, I don't know that I've got a ton of confidence in this one. Uh, I am concerned, you know, going back to 2000, only six teams ever in MLS have made the, the playoffs after losing their first three. We came close last year after losing our first three. It was our fourth last year that, that we got our first win. So I'm hopeful. The other thing that, that I want to kind of watch for in this one is... Uh, and Josh alluded to this. Orlando are in the CONCACAF Champions League. It's another competition. It's reserved for teams who either win the U.S. Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup or you know win their 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 league. So uh, I think top three finishers inside of MLS plus the Open Cup winner. So Orlando's in there as the Open Cup winner. That means that they will have by the time we meet them this weekend played two more matches than any of the other, you know, MLS teams that aren't in CCL. And they happen to play against uh, uh, Tigres uh, from uh, from the League MX. And that's one of the more challenging teams that they're going to have to run up against. Uh, they drew nil-nil in the first leg, which means everything to play for tonight. Can Charlotte go in and beat a team that's played two more matches, 180 more minutes on those legs? And 180 challenging minutes on those legs in a, a fresh season. Can we take advantage of that and finally get some points this season? I don't know, but I think if we're going to get them, that's going to be a reason why. So, so, Justin, I have a question for you. And you may not like the question. This early in the season, do those minutes 
hurt Orlando because they are overworked, or do those minutes help Orlando find midseason form? Ding, ding, ding. I personally think that more minutes in general is a good thing in terms of finding your form, but it is very difficult given that these have been midweek matches in between MLS regular season matches. It just doesn't leave a lot of time for that kind of recovery. And and I think that it's, I think that, that we are passing the point now where, where it's the, the bonus from the extra minutes and the, the improved cohesion and things like that. And we're getting into, I'm hopeful <laughs> for this match against Orlando that we're getting into the, it's just been a lot of minutes back to back without enough rest time, without the big break, you know, maybe that the league's cup is going to bring or that international breaks are going to bring or anything like that. It's a lot of competitions in a short period of time, a lot of matches. And I hope that that means Orlando's coming into this with just that little extra level of fatigue. I do not know that I am as optimistic about that, but I will hope that you are right. And on the really shocking knowledge that I am not super optimistic at the moment, uh, we're going to go ahead and finish the podcast. So if you have spent your time with us as ever, we love you. Uh, We hope that you are enjoying this really, really lightning start to the season by Charlotte Mm. FC. And we will talk to you again after we go and take our first three points from Orlando. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com.